Are you ready for the word this morning? Well, a few weeks ago, I set out on a journey. I think my highest hopes were to encourage the body of Christ to see her spiritual role regarding the significance of voting in the upcoming election. And at the same time, I wanted the body of Christ to be able to see the potential consequences if she overlooks this responsibility. I named this series, The Issues of Life, Defending the Essentials Through Our Vote. Today, I'm going to be ministering the fifth and final message in this series. It's a message that I'm calling, Occupy Till I Come. Friends, the word occupy means so much more than just taking up space. A 911 operator may sit behind a desk and he or she may be taking up space, but I assure you, her role, his role, is much greater than just taking up space. That person is set there to repeatedly and habitually busy themselves to respond to the affairs of the community. Behind this English word occupy, we find this Greek word pragmatuomai. It's kind of a big word, pragmatuomai. It's where we would find words like pragmatic, looking at the practical outcome of something. Pragmatuomai means to trade, to busy oneself with matters, things or work, specifically in the affairs of business. Now, when we think of occupy, we don't typically think that it means to be busy with something. It means to take advantage. It means to take territory in a sense. But what it means is it means to practice, that is to perform, again, repeatedly or habitually in other words, pragmatuomai, or what we say occupy, is not a single act, it is a repeated act. And over this series, I have said more than once that we need to be involved in our world. As much as we are involved in raising our children and raising our neighbor's children sometimes and helping our families, we are to be involved in this world, and that includes governmental affairs. A single vote in a person's lifetime is not pragmatuomai. It would not be considered occupy till I come. Not taking into consideration that which our candidates stand for is not pragmatuomai. It is not occupy until I come. And friends, I want to be honest with you, it's not a good business practice. Not defending the essentials. I'm talking about things like life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. When we don't have a heart to defend these things, this is not pragmatuomai. And it is not occupy until I come. Let's call it what it is. It's poor business affairs. It is a 911 operator without a telephone. You are just, in a sense, taking up space. That's all you're doing. Now, how many of you have heard the phrase, the separation of church and state? I didn't even get it all the way out, and I saw heads nodding. You've heard that term, haven't you? The separation of church and state. And sometimes we think about it when we hear this, because there's so many different definitions of what this is, but let me tell you what it's not. 
The separation of church and state is not some sort of mandate that dictates that the church is not to be involved in governmental affairs. I'm going to say something. If the church was not involved in governmental affairs, you might as well pack up this world because it's over with. The reason we're standing is not just because of our good, good God, but the reason we're still standing and we're still prosperous in this nation is because the church is involved. I want her to be more involved in this area this is a very important election that's coming up. The separation of church and state is the principle that has been written into the Bill of Rights under the First Amendment, and it states that our government must maintain an attitude of neutrality toward religion, and I'm okay with that. Because you cannot mandate God, you cannot mandate love, and God wouldn't have it that way either. So if they want to be neutral against all religions, that's fine with me. The First Amendment not only allows citizens the freedom to practice any religion of their choice, but it also prevents the government from officially recognizing or favoring any particular religion. And so what I want you to see through the message today is this. As citizens, I believe of the greatest nation on earth. I'm not the one to first say that. I believe that. As citizens of the greatest nation on earth, we must repeatedly and habitually be involved in the spiritual, the financial, the physical, all the health of our nation. These forces work together to impart life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Defending the essentials through our vote may not sound very spiritual to you, but I assure you it is very spiritual. How many of you know that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is more than just a phrase from the Declaration of Independence? Friends, this is the desire of every man's heart. Every man wants to live a good life. Every woman, every boy, every girl wants to live a good life. They want liberty, which means freedom. They don't want to be in bondage. And everybody loves to be happy. I don't know why anybody would love or want to be sad. We want to live life and see good days. We want to prosper. We want to pursue happiness. So there's, it's more than just a declaration in the Declaration of Independence. This is the desire of every human being's heart. And the framers, which were a handful of men when they framed the Declaration of Independence, you know what they wrote in there? They said these unalienable rights. That's kind of a hard word for me to say. Unalienable rights. What unalienable rights? He's talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And they said these unalienable rights had been given to all people. And who did they get given to from? They said by our creator. Our creator. Friends, there is one creator. His name is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one creator. Man may think he can invent something, but I'm telling you there is one creator. Creator. In order to be a creator, you got to start with nothing. Man starts with something, and maybe he invents something, but a creator starts with nothing and creates the very substance to which he's going to build everything out of. That is our powerful God. He is the creator. And so what they wrote in that Declaration of Independence is simply that he said that these people have been given these rights through their creator, and it is the various branches of our government to protect and to preserve these rights. I think we often overlook the fact 
that these precious gifts can be preserved through something as simple as a vote. That seems so simple, but they can. They can be preserved when we put the righteous in place. I love this. Someone said to our president the other day, they said, you know, they said, you're the most famous person in the whole world. And I love he didn't take any time. He said, no, I'm not. They said, oh, yes, you are. Who's more famous than you? And our president said, Jesus Christ. He didn't even say God. Did you guys catch that? He didn't say God because there's a bunch of gods out there. You know, you could take that anyway. He said, Jesus Christ. And in a sense, I love, he said, he's the boss. He's my boss. I get that, okay? But this is what he said. He said, there's one that's more powerful than me. And the guy wanted to argue with him. He said, no, you're the most powerful. He said, no, I'm not. He said, there's one. He said, who is that? He said, Jesus Christ. I love a person. I don't care what office you're in, but when you're in one of the highest offices of the land and you'll take a stand in public and say, Jesus Christ is the most powerful person in the world. Oh, man. Now, see, you've got my attention when you start talking like that, because it's true. Now, there are some people that probably would have hated those words. They got bigger issues to deal with, man. They got a lot of issues of life, friends. But now, I want you to take what he said last week, and I want you to marry that with Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2. I used this scripture a couple of weeks ago, but it says this. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Friends, I don't think that's a complicated scripture. It's taking two groups of people. It's taking the righteous and comparing it against the wicked. And it's saying, look, when you have the righteous in authority, that's positions of authority, whether we're talking about the church or the presidential office or the Supreme Court, wherever you're talking about, in positions where you rule, in positions where you make decisions. He said, when the righteous rule, he said, the nation rejoices. Remember what I said? People want to be happy. Happy and in rejoicing go together. They hold hands with one another. But he said, hey, look, in the same breath, same scripture. He said, look, when the wicked rule, the people, the nation, whatever it may be, they mourn, M-O-U-R-N, they go into deep, deep sadness. We rejoice because we have reason to rejoice. We are the beneficiaries of the decisions by the righteous people. Decisions I'm talking about that bring life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You know what? I just want to live life, don't you? I mean, so much stuff comes along and gets in the way. I'm just trying to live life and see good days and pastor a church and be good to my wife and be good to my family. And then life seems to get in the way. I want to live life. I want to see good days. And friends, just because some of that stuff is not going on in our world, that doesn't mean we cannot still make a decision to live life even in the midst. Remember we sang the song, even in the valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can still live life there. You don't have to fear evil. Why? Because he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us, friends. Conversely, it says, though, when the wicked rule, the nation mourns. In the New Testament, there was a massacre of male children. 
We see the account of that in the nativity narrative in which a man named Herod the Great, the wicked king of Judea, ordered the execution of all male children that lived in the vicinity of Bethlehem. You know what? If that happened today, everyone in their right mind would be horrified. Everyone would be outraged, but declare it lawful and perform these acts in an abortion clinic, and somehow it's okay. That is nonsense. And we see this story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, Then Herod, remember, that's that wicked king, right? Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, look what was heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Why was there great mourning? Because a wicked king was ruling. Remember, when the wicked rule, the nation mourns. They go hand in glove. In Ramah, there was a voice heard. It was loud. It was constant. It was unbearable to listen to all the mothers lamenting, weeping, mourning, crying. And then it says, Rachel. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. In other words, because it was her children also that were taken. So much of Christianity believes that God is controlling the outcome of everything. It's called Calvinism, friends. We believe that God somehow controls every marriage, who we marry. Well, then let me ask you a question. Why is there so much divorce in the church if God is controlling all that? The church has a divorce rate that's just as high as the world, friends. God's not in control of who we marry. Now, God can lead us. Yes, he can lead us. He led me to Valerie. He led Valerie to me. I think you can probably say that too. But I'm telling you, God is not in control of who we marry. So many people believe that God is in control of our health conditions. Well, then let me ask you a question. Why is there so much sickness? Why is there so much disease even within the church? And that's because God is not in control. God will work with you. God will speak to you. God will give you understanding. He will give you wisdom. And through the gospel of grace, he gets this monkey off our back, this monkey of condemnation. Condemnation brings sickness. So many people think that God is in control of how long we live. Friends, that's not true either. The Bible says he's numbered our days. Numbered means to count our days, right? Listen, let me tell you something. To count our days is not the same thing as to control our days. You can ask Michelle. She's a teller at a bank. See, she counts the money, but that doesn't mean she controls the money. And they're two different things. And so many people believe that God is in control of everything. He's not in control of everything but he does work through his people if we will just listen to him. 
There are people who believe that God's in control of the election. That's why 40 million Christians do not vote. They just go, well, whoever gets in there, it's God's plan. No, that's not true. That is not true. This is simply not true. God empowers his people, listen to me carefully, to rule and reign. And part of that responsibility of ruling and reigning is to protect the freedoms that this nation has enjoyed for so long. That is part of our responsibility as co-rulers, co-reigners in this world. We protect these liberties and life, and we protect this pursuit of happiness that I was talking about. Freedoms that fall under our First Amendment, I want you to take a look at our First Amendment. Here's what the First Amendment states. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, that's what we're doing today even, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Every one of these freedoms will probably be challenged if our country falls into the hands of a wicked king. Every one of those freedoms will get challenged. Under a wicked king, our country could move in the direction of unrestricted borders. It could move in the direction of socialism, defunding the police, and continued lockdowns, friend. Let me ask you a question. Like Rachel, do you want to go into a time of lamentation? Do you want to go into a time of weeping and great mourning? I think that's a rhetorical question. The answer should be, of course not. Well, none of us want to go there. Who wants to be into a time of lamenting and weeping and mourning? Then hear the words of Christ here, would you? Pragmatuomai, occupy till I come. Busy yourself with the affairs of business. And part of business is paying attention to what's going on in our government. Let me ask you another question. How does God, how does he empower us? How does he protect us? That is the question. Is it through guardian angels? Listen, I believe in angels. But I don't think that's God's number one way of protecting his people. I'm just going to assign a guardian angel to each one of you. Because if that's the case, then the guardian angel must be sleeping at times because things break through, right? So I don't think it's that. No, listen to me carefully. He empowers us with his spirit and wisdom, his spirit and wisdom. Now we see an example of this in the early church in Acts chapter six, verses one through four. Look at what these words say. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained. <laughs> Complaining has been going on a long time, hasn't it? They complained, right? And who they complain against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, that's the 12 disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, here's what they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now let me stop here for a second. I want you to make note that I highlighted a couple words. You see the words? It, they said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Behind uh, that word ministry, behind that word wait on is the exact same Greek word. It means to serve. There's no difference. It means to serve. Some people can serve behind a pulpit. Some people can serve behind a potluck table. It doesn't matter. It's all ministry. 
We shouldn't covet what someone else is doing. Be happy, stay in your lane. You know, I've only been bowling a few dozen times, but I never throw a ball down lane one and then go down to lane 27 and throw another ball down there and come back to lane two and throw my next ball there. No, stay in your lane. God has gifted people to do certain things within the body of Christ, and we, we've got to be content in that. I would not have picked myself to be a pastor. I would have not picked myself to be a preacher. I was happy mowing the lawn of a church. I was happy going out picking people up to come to church. God had a different plan. And so this is what ministry looks like. Now, he continues. He says this. He says, brothers and sisters. Now, this is their response. Brothers and sisters, to seven men from among you who are known to be, look at these words, full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I want you to make note, as I look at those scriptures, I see two qualifications the early church looked for in order to serve in ministry. Number one, you needed to be full of the Spirit. Number two, you had to be full of wisdom. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did they need to be full of the Spirit and wisdom just to wait on tables? I mean, I don't ask my waitress at Olive Garden if she's full of the Spirit and wisdom to wait on me. So why do these guys have to be full of the Spirit? Why do they have to be full of wisdom? Friends, it's because the disciples were serving more than fish dinners. They were serving Christ. They were serving Christ. Not only serving Christ, but they were serving Christ. And that should be our heart everywhere we go, that we just don't serve up Christ in a church building. We serve Christ everywhere we go. I will minister to my waiters and waitresses more than they'll minister back to me, ministering Christ. Figure if you don't bring the fish dinner, I'll bring it to you. We're serving Christ. They were serving life. They were serving liberty. And they were serving the pursuit of happiness. They were serving the essentials through the daily distribution of food. They were serving a hope that turned the widow's mourning into dancing, friends. That's what they were serving. You know what? And it doesn't take much to encourage people sometimes. People can be so beat down. They can be so destitute. But you can come along with just a word, a simple little word, and you can reach down into a pit and pull them out when we serve Christ. Friends, it's more than a job. It's an opportunity. It's an occasion, an occasion that we can occupy until he comes. Now, every believer is full of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a certain percentage of him. We're not 10% saved. We're 100% saved. Either we have the Spirit or we don't have the Spirit. And we're also gifted with wisdom, but many believers have not exercised. They've not exercised their God-given gift of wisdom. God communicates his heart to his people through his people. God communicates his heart to his people through his spirit. He communicates his heart through his scriptures. But so often the body of Christ remains idle, even though he has expressly spoken through the word. You know what he's instructed us to do? He's instructed us to take care of the stranger. He's instructed us to take care of the widow and the orphan, and daddy's heart is to protect these babies in the womb. That's daddy's heart. 
It's been so many years since Roe versus Wade, 1973, friends. And somehow as the calendars turn, somehow we sort of get used to this is just the way it is. Friends, it doesn't have to be that way. Not when we occupy till he comes, when we get involved in business affairs and government affairs, things can be turned around. Things can be turned in a different direction. I'm not okay with any of that. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to throw away my presidential vote for a man or woman that is not pro-life. And that is not pro-First Amendment. Period. <laughs> I don't want to do it. As believers, we often form our belief system. Everybody believes differently, right? Sometimes we agree with everything that the other one is saying. Sometimes we just simply don't. I may have said something you don't agree with already this morning. That's okay. We're still friends. But we form our belief systems based on what we've been taught. We form our belief systems sometimes around what we want to be true. We want this to be true, or we expect this to be true, or it feels true. And so we believe because it just feels true in the natural, seems like it should be true. In the process, we overlook or we underestimate that the Father has many ways to speak to us. Just before Herod, that wicked king, signed the decree to kill all those male children, two years and under, God sent an angel to Joseph in a dream. Aren't you happy he did that? Yeah. Why? Because Joseph is the daddy of Jesus. Stepfather anyway. But Joseph is listening. He's ready. And Herod's already signed the decree. The ink is not even dry yet. And an angel shows up and begins to speak to Joseph in a dream. And we see these words in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. That's okay. Get up, he said. He seems like he's really emphatic about this. You don't think about it. Get up, he said. He said, I want you to take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. <laughs> Egypt! No, not Egypt. Oh, yeah, Egypt. And he says, I want you to stay there until I tell you. For Herod, remember Herod's that wicked king. When the kings rule, the nation mourns, right? For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Can you imagine an angel telling you something like that? I mean, that the shock value to that. You're going to kill my baby? And then it continues. It says, so he got up, that's a good response, right? Took the child and his mother during the night, didn't even wait till morning, took the child during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. I'm telling you, the father has a way of moving people out of the way, friends. Amen. He has a way of removing the wicked. They will run their course at some point in time and they will just be slid out of the way, whether it's through death or some other way. The father has a way to make this happen. So they stayed there until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I want you to make note of a couple things here that Joseph didn't just pray about his circumstances hoping that God had another option for him to pick from. So often we hear the voice of the Lord and we hear him better than we know. 
But then we go into this time of just praying for six weeks or six months and just because it seems like, oh man, I can't do that, Father. Listen, I gave up a career at one time, a sales manager's career, because I had a word from the Lord. And it was a cut and pay three times, four times less than what I was making. Doing some mundane job of putting phones together at Motorola and Harvard. But I knew the Spirit's voice. And when he said, go, I went. And who would I meet at Harvard? Who would I meet at Motorola? It would be that lovely Valerie. And that was more than 20 years ago, friends. We've got to hear the word of the Lord. Joseph doesn't just go into prayer, praying about his circumstances, hoping that God would somehow have many other options for him to choose from. No. Yet many believers do exactly that when it comes to busying themselves with the affairs of the government. They just tend to pray everything away. And well, God knows the deal. We'll just pray it away. Joseph could have said, I like my home. I've got new friends here. I don't want to go to Egypt. There's nothing in Egypt. But instead, you know what Joseph was doing? He was exercising his heart muscle, the muscle of occupy till I come, busying himself with the affairs of King Jesus. Did you notice that there was no delay? Remember, he got up in the middle of the night. Joseph arose from the dream, gathered up what he could take with him, Mary and Jesus and a donkey or whatever it was, and he left in the middle of the night. Friends, sometimes we just get so religious and the Father is speaking to us through the word or through a man, a woman, whatever it may be, and it bears witness with our soul, but yet we tarry, we linger. And had he have done that, I don't know what would have happened, to be honest with you. Many spiritual leaders delay or completely avoid ministering about anything that sounds political. You want to know why? There's several reasons. Number one, fear. Fear that they might offend somebody. Listen, I'm not out to offend anybody. I'm really not. I try to preach Jesus in everything I preach. I try to preach His grace in everything I preach, His unconditional love. But the Bible says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not just grace. Not just have your own little way. This isn't Burger King. Come on. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So they avoid these topics, number one, for fear. Number two, they avoid these topics because they have been taught themselves that the political does not belong with inside the church. That is not true. I'm thankful right now, Andrew Womack, is leading a major cause out in the state of Colorado where his Bible college at, where the church and everything's located, his ministry, leading a major cause right now as they're suing the state of Colorado for stepping in and putting these crazy mandates on being able to assemble together. And they've got good counsel, Matt Staver, who's part of that coalition of attorneys that Jay Seculo and all those guys came out of. And so I'm very uh, hopeful on that outcome. But imagine he just sat around and did nothing. So many uh, ministers even will not touch this topic because they've been taught, listen, you don't minister this kind of stuff within the church. Friends, the whole Bible is full of it. You see kings everywhere. 
That's political. And the reason, the other reason they don't like to touch on this topic is because they're under this delusion that God is controlling the outcome. So why bother? Why work against him? God is controlling the outcome. I couldn't disagree more with these conclusions, this rhetoric, these ideologies. I couldn't disagree more. You know what? Many ministers, listen to me carefully, are concerned that they might lose a member or two. But have they given equal thought? Have they given equal prayer? Have they given equal tears to the fact that millions of babies have lost members too? Where do they lose their members? In the womb! That's where they lose their members. I'm not concerned about church members walking away, friends. Under the finished work of the cross, I know, listen, I'll see you again in heaven. I will. I'd love to see you every Sunday, but uh, my goal is not to see you every Sunday. My goal is to preach grace and truth. My goal is to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My goal is to preach Jesus Christ as the most powerful man on earth, the most powerful force there is in this universe. They have lost their members in the womb through abortion. Our votes can change that statistic. Pragmatuomai, remember? We occupy till he comes. We repeatedly and habitually busy ourselves with matters, things, or work, specifically in the affairs of governmental business, so that we can affect our lives, we can affect our liberties, we can affect the outcome in our pursuit of happiness. We lose tens of thousands of lives each year through drug overdose, illegal drugs that have been smuggled across the border. Yet people are saying, we don't need a wall. I disagree with you. I'm talking about drugs that claim the lives of our children. And I personally know people who have lost their lives. I personally know them. Lost their lives through some of these illegal drugs. Our votes can change that statistic. Pragmatuamai. We occupy till he comes. What did I say? We repeatedly and habitually busy ourselves with matters things or work specifically in the affairs of governmental business so that we can affect our lives, our liberties, and the pursuit of happiness. Worldwide, we lose thousands of soldiers every year through not only conflict, but through suicide. We lose hundreds of police officers each year through crime-ridden cities. And friends, we lose a countless number of souls each year because people have not heard the gospel of God's unconditional grace. And they've just walked away and said, why should I even bother? He must be controlling the outcome. Do you know that doctrine that says, listen, God walks up and down the street basically and he says, I'm picking you to be saved. I'm picking you to be saved. You're not gonna get saved. I'm not gonna pick you. It's not that way. The Bible says it's not his will that any man would perish. Yet there's doctrine taught in the church that God has already determined who he wants to be saved. That is not true. God knows who's going to be saved. God knows who's going to respond to the call. 
God knows this. Why? Because he's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He has been to the end. He's outside of time. He's eternal. So he can look in and he can say, I know who's going to be saved, but it's not me who's controlling who's going to be saved. For any man will come to me. I will not turn him away. It's not my will that any man should perish. Today, more than ever, we need men and women with spines of steel wrapped in velvet to stand behind the pulpits and behind the potluck tables and declare the finished work of God's amazing grace. We are called to serve our Christ, serve him fresh and hot to people as they come through, friends, and to serve our citizens of this world. Pragmatuamai, we occupy until he comes. Passionate about this. I've spent my whole Christian life doing this, living this, and not even know, not even known that I was living this. I didn't need some man to come along and just tell me, this is what you've got to do, and you better do this, and you better do this. No, it's always been my heart's desire to serve Christ. I have stood outside with below zero weather, felt like I was going to freeze to death as I've ministered to people and brought them to Christ. I've been in dark alleys. I've been in some of the most strange places over this 25 years, serving Christ. But guess what? Full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Friends, life comes with issues, and issues come with life. The good news is that the majority of life's most disruptive and disappointing and destructive issues can be avoided. Did you hear what I said? I said most of life's issues, these real issues that we deal with, can be avoided. How, you say? Through the exercise of wisdom. That's how it's avoided in many cases. You see, we have a choice, not only in our day-to-day -day activities, but we have a choice to make on Tuesday, November 3rd. We can either be proactive, reactive, or radioactive, but the truth is, we are going to have to face the issues of life. Toxic issues can be cut off at the knees when we pray and when we wait on tables filled with hungry hearts and we serve Christ. Hear the words of the Lord. He is the one who said these words. Occupy till I come. They're only, they only come up one time in the Bible and Jesus is the one who said it. He said, occupy till I come. Friends, when we let go of the hand of wisdom, we make things very complicated. Imagine yourself doing that. You're holding the hand of wisdom and you say, I think I got it from here on. No, you always need the hand of wisdom. Life gets complicated, maybe not right at first, but it will eventually get very complex. You'll find yourself in situations you don't know how to get yourself out of. That's why Solomon was declared the wisest man that ever lived, next to Jesus, of course, the wisest man that ever lived. He was given this gift of wisdom, and he knew how to rule and reign and to orchestrate, even when he was taken by surprise. He knew the way out. That's why I said we can be proactive, which I believe is the best thing for us, but there's times we have to be reactive. We didn't see it coming. All of a sudden, we have to deal with something. We got to make a, a, a decision. We need God's wisdom. And friends, sometimes it's just radioactive. You find yourself in a situation that is so toxic and you need wisdom in that situation. You don't want to let go of that hand of wisdom because life becomes very complex. Life becomes very strange. 
How many of you have heard that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Have you ever heard that? You've said that before, right? Let me sum up that age-old adage with two words. Proactive wisdom. See, that doesn't sound spiritual, does it? Listen, wisdom is from God. You can't get wisdom anywhere else. You can't get it in a Cracker Jack box. You can't find wisdom any place but through Christ. And the Bible says when we come to Christ, he has made unto us wisdom, sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. That's what he's made unto the body of Christ. We are made wisdom. We are made righteousness. We are made sanctification. We are made redemption. We have wisdom. We sometimes have to stir the gift. That's why Paul would tell Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift of the spirit inside of you. Stir up the gift of wisdom on the inside of you, Timothy. You're going to need the power of the spirit. You're going to need to make decisions as you go, Timothy. Keep stirring this, Timothy. Keep stirring it. Meditating on God's goodness at all times. Stir it up, Timothy. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9, we find these words. Solomon wrote these, so he, he's a wise man. He ought to know something about wisdom, right? He should. Look what he wrote. He said, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. He says, do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Who's she? <laughs> wisdom. Love her. Who's her? <laughs> wisdom. And she will watch over you. Who is she? Wisdom. Do you see her role? She's very active. She's pragmatulamai. She's looking in on our affairs. And he says, you need to put your arms around this wisdom. You need to put your arms around this understanding. And then he says, look at this. He says, wisdom is supreme. I love that. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have. Do you see the value there's very few things in life that I would say I'm all in on. I mean, in the natural speaking. But Solomon is saying, though it cost you everything. Well, friends, we don't have to pay for wisdom. Remember, we were made wisdom. We were made sanctification, righteousness, and redemption. We already have it. We just need to stir up the wisdom on the inside of us. He says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, that's wisdom, and she, that's wisdom again, will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Now, the word supreme, remember it says wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is supreme. Behind that word, our English word supreme, is the Hebrew word barashit. Barashit. What does Barashit mean? Well, right there it means the beginning, the first in place, time, order, or rank, specifically a first fruit. And it says wisdom is supreme, or it's literally saying wisdom is the beginning. In other words, you think you are going to chase after all these other things in life. We need to stir up the wisdom inside of us. Wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is in the beginning. Did you know the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah? Torah, Torah. The first book is Genesis. How far do you think we'll get in Genesis 
before we'll find that word, barashit. How far? 10 verses? 10 chapters? <laughs> it's the first word! Genesis begins with barashit, bara, Elohim. Beginning, created, God. Barashit. So, think about this for a second. If Solomon told us that wisdom is supreme, wisdom is in the beginning, he took us all the way back to where God started, and he said, God thought so much about this, he'd write it as the very first word, Barashit, in the beginning, get wisdom. You see, God is a God of order. It takes wisdom to operate in order. Friends, you can't operate in order without wisdom. You can't do it. There was nothing random about the creation that God was involved in. He was involved in business affairs, if you will, creating everything. My foundational scriptures for this series has been these scriptures right here. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. Solomon, see, we just skipped up a few verses. We're still in chapter 4. Solomon's been telling us, get wisdom, right? And then he works his way into the back end of that chapter, and he says, my son, pay attention to what I say. In other words, he's saying, I want you to go back. I want you to pay attention to everything I just told you. He said, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Throughout this series, I have stood as a watchman in the night as I have peered into the future of our country, and I have said no to unrighteousness. Like a doctor that towers over a lifeless corpse, I have stood with the defibrillator paddles of justice and mercy. Throughout these messages, I have declared no more death. That's been my cry from the moment I started. No more death. No more needless death. Throughout these messages, I have stood and, and I have declared no more drugs. I have stood at the wall that separates our country in the spiritual sense. I have stood behind the walls of the abortion clinic in a spiritual sense, and I've said no more death, and I've said no more drugs. Throughout this series, I have cried, no more disrespect as I have stood to sing my national anthem, and I have stood for my red, white, and blue flag. Throughout this series, I have proclaimed no more defunding as I have stood with the men and the women of blue and the very ones that are sworn to protect and to serve our communities. Throughout this series, I have announced no more dishonor as I have stood in the very Oval Office with our president and on distant shores with our military and I said no more dishonor. Throughout this series, I have declared no more destruction as I have witnessed anarchy, and so have you, across our nation. And I have witnessed many leaders of states and cities almost sanction what's going on, encouraging the violence in a sense. Throughout this series, I have declared no more darkness as I have walked within the walls of the government buildings. And I have said, Father, Daddy, the defibrillator of justice and mercy has arrived. 
Throughout these messages, I have faced the radioactive propaganda machines, also known as the media, as I have laid the defibrillator paddles of justice and mercy over their hearts and over their lungs. I have laid the defibrillator paddles of wisdom and understanding upon their chest, and I have shocked them with this truth. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Throughout these messages, my cry has been, Pragma tu am I, occupy till I come. Busy yourself with the things that really matter in life. I'm not talking about being a busy body. I'm talking about busy yourself with things that matter. Practice the affairs of business so that it will go well as we seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Friends, salvation is a single act, and it is the finished work of Jesus Christ. But we are not here just to take up space. We are here to occupy till he comes. Amen? Now, I want to go into my last scriptures here this morning, but I want to set these up by saying this. Jesus is about to tell a parable. But before he tells this parable, he has just got through with a wee little man. Guess what his name is? That's right, Zacchaeus. In fact, Zacchaeus is standing right there when Jesus releases this parable. Jesus just got through telling Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come to your home. What a beautiful thing to say. Salvation has come to your home, Zacchaeus. And then he turns to the crowd as Zacchaeus stands there. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, we find these words. While they were still listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus said these words. He said, a man of noble birth went into a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. I don't know what that looked like. Could have been a dollar, could have been $5, but it was a coin. He gave 10 people, one each. Do you see the picture so far? 10 servants, 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said. Look at those words. Occupy till I come. Jesus said those words. He said, put this to work. Occupy till I come. Remember, the word occupy comes from the Greek word pragmatuomai. It means to trade. It means to busy oneself with things that matter. It talks about business affairs. It's not just a one-time act. Pragmatuomai is the repeated and habitual act of doing business. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Is this sounding a little familiar? But his subjects hated him 
and sent a delegation. That means they sent an embassy. They sent ambassadors. They sent a message with those guys. And what was the message? We don't want you to be our king. Let me put it in plain English, okay? The media and those on the left have said the same thing to our president. We don't want you to be our king. But look at the next words. It says, he was made king. Did you see that? He says he was made king. However, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. He's probably pretty impressed. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Where did that come from? Friends, that is blessing upon blessing. He wasn't expecting that. And I'm declaring today, there are some things coming for this country. There are some things that are knocking on our door that are above and beyond anything we could have ever thought or imagined. Not just coming through our president, but I'm talking about coming through our God. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. The master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap where you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. <laughs> Do you hear that? I'm going to judge you by your own words. Your words are going to become a snare for you. We are seeing that happen in unprecedented ways right now. People are being snared by their own words. He said, I'm going to judge you by your own words. And then he says, you wicked servant. See, I can't make you rule over anything. Remember, I'm already aware that when the wicked rule, the nation mourns. I'm not interested in that. He said, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Then watch what he says. He said, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? And then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, I wish it didn't end on a kind of a note like that. I really do. I was hesitant to even put that in there. Uh, but I thought maybe I had some explaining to do here. The first thing that I think we have to establish through this parable is that this is not about the loss of salvation, friends. Salvation is a finished work. Besides, if we could ever be disqualified from salvation, it wouldn't be because we gave back to someone the exact same thing they gave us. I mean, Michelle works at a credit union. She deals with money all day long. I'm sure there's been a person or two that's come through over the years and said, can I have change for a $100 bill? What's going to be her response? Absolutely. 
She gives them back exactly what they gave her, just in different denominations. I don't see a crime in that, do you? I mean, here's a guy who's given him back everything he gave him. This is not about the loss of salvation. The problem, listen to me carefully, the problem with the man who wrapped the mind in a cloth was this. He had been listening to the subjects that hated the king to be. He had been listening to the ones that sent a delegation after him. You know what they did? They poisoned his heart. And in the process, they stripped him of his First Amendment. This is the lie that he believed. He believed that his life was better off by doing nothing with the money that the king had given him. And friends, sadly, millions of registered voters will not make their way to the polling booths on Tuesday, November 3rd, because of the same mindset. They walk in fear because they have been listening to the rhetoric of the ones who hate our president, hate our country, and hate our Constitution. Again, behind our English word occupy, we find the Greek word pragmatuomai. It means to trade. It means to busy oneself with matters, things, or work. Specifically, in the way of business affairs. To practice, that is, to perform repeatedly or habitually. In other words, pragmatuomai, or occupy, is not a single act. It is a repeated act. We must be involved in the affairs of our government at all times. A single vote, as I said in a lifetime, is not pragmatuomai. It is not occupy till I come. Not taken into consideration where our candidates stand for this and that is not pragmatuomai. It is not occupy till I come. It's not a good business practice. Not defending the essentials of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not pragmatuomai. And it is not occupy till I come. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach back out to us and put its arms around us from this series, from this message even today, are these. You and I are on a journey. Throughout this journey, our heart muscles will be exercised as we defend the rights of all mankind. I'm talking about the rights that lead to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. As we defend the essentials through our vote, we will encounter those that hate our soon coming king. They will try to convince us to be afraid. They will spread lies that our king is a hard man, reaping where he has not sown. What is our response? Repeated and habitual distributions of kindness and prayer and ministry of the word. We learn to serve from the pulpit. We learn to serve from the potluck table. And friends, we learn to serve from the polling booth. Nothing, absolutely nothing on this journey is more essential than discovering Christ. Jesus himself said, what will a man gain if he should win the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Friends, 
Our journey is filled with decisions and responsibilities. One of those responsibilities is our vote of righteousness. Our journey is filled with the issues of life. In times like these, we turn to the Spirit and He gives us wisdom. He tells us what to do as we listen to Him. There will be times that our journey will be filled with lamentation and weeping and great mourning. In times like these, we turn to our Papa. We turn to our Daddy. We turn to our Heavenly Father who consoles us, not controls us. Friends, see Him differently. Friends, be of good cheer. The most famous person in the whole world occupies our spirit. His name is Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father loves us with a perfect love, a love that does not need renewing every four years. It's a love that lasts forever, friends. He didn't create us just to take up space. He calls us to rule. He calls us to reign in righteousness so that the heart of the nation will rejoice and they'll be strengthened. How does the Father empower us? How does the Father protect us? I'll tell you how he does it. By filling us full of the Spirit and wisdom. Friends, my encouragement is that we busy ourselves with the things, only the things that really matter. Practice the affairs of business so that it will go well as we seek life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Friends, listen to me carefully one more time. Salvation is a finished work. Salvation is ours through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One act for all mankind. A single act that never needs repeating. Hear the words of Jesus when he declared in front of Zacchaeus, a government man, occupy till I come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this awesome responsibility, this awesome privilege that we have. We thank you, Father, that the scriptures are a light unto our path. They're a lamp unto our feet, Daddy. We thank you that we have something even better than the old covenant people had. Not everybody walked in wisdom. There were a few people that did, but today we're made wisdom. Wisdom has already been deposited on the inside of us. We are made righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Four pillars that keep us erect. And Daddy, as I pray about our nation, I'm thankful for our nation I love no other country more than I love this country. This is our country, Daddy. As we sing in the song, this land is your land, this land is my land. So thank you, Father. This is our land, Daddy. But it was yours first, Daddy. And even in the beginning, the very first word from the Torah, barashit, which means beginning. It's the word you use when you said wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is something you should get in the very beginning for she shall guard you, she shall protect you. So thank you, Father, that we just don't look to her, but we understand that we're not only full of wisdom, but we're full of the Spirit. And we hear His voice better than we ever did. So I want to thank you, Father, for the men and women that may have never voted before, but may hear this message and say, you know what? It is my God-given right. It is my God-given responsibility to occupy till He comes. And so therefore, I will cast my vote in Jesus' name. Amen.